Hi, my name's Amberly Lago, and I'm here to inspire you to go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profits. Welcome to the Go Big to Give Big podcast, where we are challenging six-figure earners to become seven-figure givers. My name is Randy Mullen, and each week, my co-host Steve Arneson and I are interviewing successful entrepreneurs, professional athletes, philanthropists, and other high-performing humans that are inspiring us with their stories. We go deep into uncovering how they have become successful and why generosity is an impact they want to leave on this world. Our mission is to have you leave this podcast wanting to go bigger with your dreams and goals so that you can give bigger with your profits. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. Today's guest is Amberly Lago. She has one of the most incredible stories about overcoming some of life's biggest challenges. Amberly was struck by a vehicle while riding her motorcycle and ended up having 34 surgeries to repair her leg, only to leave her with complex regional pain syndrome, which is on the pain scale worse than giving childbirth and kidney stones and is also uncurable. After suffering through endless trials of medication and different medical practices, she decided there was only one thing that could change her life, and that was becoming resilient. She has gone on now to become a highly sought-after motivational speaker, created a top-rated podcast, and become an author of the book, True Grit and Grace. She is also continuing to inspire people all over the world with her incredible story and her attitude towards life. This woman is just incredible, and our conversation today was nothing short of that. Amberly shares about how she used sports and how it made a massive impact in her life as an outlet. It was She has an incredible story of how she uses gratitude with her daughter and how she's empowering her daughter to keep incorporating that in her life and why she is so passionate about sharing her story and getting it out there to help as many people as she can. Amberly is one of the most loving people we've ever had on the podcast, and I can't wait for you all to hear this awesome episode with Amberly Lago. Welcome to the Go Big to Get Big podcast. I am so excited to have you here. We were just sharing beforehand how I just think you have the sweetest attitude. You care so much about just humans in general. And over the short few conversations we've had, I've just come to really adore everything that you represent and how you show up in this world. So I'm excited to have you on here and give our audience the gift of having you share your story with us. Oh, well, thank you. I'm excited to be here and honored to be on your show. I love your podcast. I've been binging it. So I feel grateful and honored to be here and excited to share with your audience. So thank you. Awesome. Well, let's start by chatting a little bit about some of the resilience. So along the way, you've faced some incredible adversity, even from when you were a child going through some abuse to moving to LA with no money and just having to, you know, not fake it till you make it, but just earn your way and gain the respect of people there all the way through to a tragic accident where you're told you would never walk again. And then just continually beating that you've beat some, uh, substance abuse. Like you just keep pushing forward and nothing stops you. And I just love that. And I want to learn more like, where did that come from? Is that something that you just believe was in you from the beginning, the day you're born? Is that something that's just been built up through facing all the adversities and having no option to go back on it? 
Where did that come from? Look, thank you. A little bit of everything. And the reason I was smiling is because you were saying all these things that happened. And I believe we have, we all have a superpower, like something that we're really good at. Each of us have something, whether it's that you're a great connector or you're resilient or whatever that is. And I asked my husband one day, I was like, honey, what do you think my superpower is? And he said, well, you just won't die. And I'm like, well, I think that's resilience. I don't know if I would say I just won't die. But I think that along the way, sometimes when we're going through difficult challenges or adversity, sometimes we're like, gosh, this is hard. Or we may even ask the question, why am I going through this? But I can look back at every difficult moment in my life and actually be grateful for it because there is one, there's lessons I learned, there's grit that I built and there's the resilience that I have strengthened along the way. And I think a lot of how I grew up in Texas with a family, my mom, we had, there were five kids and then two stepkids that would come, my stepbrother and stepsister that would come stay with us in the summers. And we didn't have much money. So if we wanted something, we had to work for it. Dancing was my outlet. It was a way that I practically lived at the dance studio. I was either there or in track running. And it was my kind of escape from trauma and the sexual abuse. I had a healthy outlet, but dancing was, it was long hours and tough. But I remember like one day my, I had blisters on my toes and I was in my point shoes my toes were bleeding and I told my dance instructor, I was like, but Miss Jackie, my, my toes are bleeding. My toe, there's blood everywhere. She goes, the show must go on. It was basically like, suck it up, buttercup. You better get her done. Keep going. And so I feel like my track coach would be running around the track in hundred degree temperature and a hundred percent humidity. And sometimes you'd have to throw up and the track coach would just be like off the track to throw up and then keep running. And so through a lot of hard work, I was a kid, started working when I was 13. And by the time I was in high school, I had four jobs. And when I moved to LA, I had $1,200 to my name. And that was enough money to get me a crappy motel with cigarette burns on the wall. But I was happy because I was chasing my purpose. I was going after my purpose. And I think that grit really the formula for that and resilience. I think that grit is driven by love and I had a love of dance and I wanted to be a professional dancer. I think that the formula for grit is definitely inspired by your purpose and your passion. I think it's fueled with resilience. I think that it's definitely a little stubbornness in there and a need to prove yourself right because I was definitely like not going back to Texas had so many people that were like, yo, you'll never make it. And I'm like, really watch me. And so I think that along the way, growing up, that those things, being an athlete, growing up in a family where there was some tough love, those things definitely helped me with resilience for sure. I got to hop in here, Amberly, because I'm a runner. I'm a fanatic runner. And it's always been like, my space of Zen, my moment of meditation. And as a yeah. kid as well, like I, I suffered through some, some abuse and running was my outlet. It was my safe space. It was my space to get away. And then Randy and I, we've both been sportaholics like our entire life. And one of the charities that we just bend over backwards for we love is Kids Sport Victoria, where they help kids who can't afford to play sports and give them grants to get into sport because we just believe in so much that 
playing sports, whether it's track as an individual or soccer, hockey, whatever, as a team sport, there's just so much character that you build through that that helps you through the rest of your life, whether it's in business, facing adversity, just as being a human being growing up. And so I wonder, like, what else did you learn through some of the sport and some of the hard times that maybe your trainer pushed you through, your parents pushed you through, you pushed you through? And then how has that kind of like helped you succeed into like besides the resilient space? I appreciate the sharing on that. But like, what else did you gain out of just kicking ass in the sports space? Oh, I love that. I want to write that charity down. I'd love to get involved. I'll share it with you for sure. Yeah, because, well, I will give you an example and not to get too heavy, but, you know, here, my brothers and I, my sister, we were all raised exactly the same, except I had an outlet, which was track and dance. And my little brother had no outlets. He didn't have a healthy place like a sport or the camaraderie of a team or that I did. And he got heavily involved in drugs and alcohol at an early age. And he sits on death row now in Texas, whereas I had this healthy outlet. Now, look, addiction doesn't discriminate when I didn't have that outlet. So fast forward to when I had my motorcycle accident and I was stuck in a hospital bed for months at a time. That is the first time I actually realized that running was my therapy, was my go-to, was my outlet when that was taken away and I couldn't run away from the feelings or the pain and I didn't feel like I had a safe space. So I think it's so important for kids to have a sport or a hobby or some sort of outlet to go to. And like my, my youngest daughter is a horseback rider and I see, I understand as an athlete how much more than just riding a horse that is, that mm-hmm. it's teaching her resilience. It's teaching her trust. It's teaching her grit. Every time she gets thrown off, she gets back on. It's teaching her responsibility to show up and she has to take care of her horse and then she has to clean up after and she has to tack her horse, all the things. For me, being on a team taught me respect for myself and also respect for my teammates. And my coach would come, I will never forget this, my coach would come get me out of class and say, Amberly, we are depending on you to get us to district. You have to win first place. And the pressure that was put upon you, I mean, I would be so nervous. I would throw up before a track meet because of just being so nervous. And then as soon as the gun would go off when you'd cross, start to run, then I wouldn't be nervous anymore. But all of that taught me like to push past, push further than you thought you could go. It taught me how to pace myself. It taught me, I remember one year I was running a race. This is, I'm out of school. I'd already moved to California and I had some guys that were running a Jimmy Stewart marathon. And we each, they let me be on the team because if they had one girl on their team, then they got like a few minutes head start or something like that. And so I was on their team. We each had five miles to run. And I remember going to Texas and my mom would be like, you're going to run again? Like you're on vacation. And I'm I'm like, well, mom, no, when I get back to California, I've got a race to run and I have to condition myself. And I was running five minute miles. And it taught me like persistence. It taught me consistency. It taught me that 
you really, if you want something, if you want to be good at it, then you have to be willing to do the work for it. And I think that there's not many other things besides sports that can help a kid learn that if, except nowadays, and maybe I'm going off on a tangent here, but I don't agree with like, everybody gets a ribbon. It's like, no, (laughs) the kids that work hard and they show up and play really well, or they, yes, they get a ribbon. Is that bad that I said that? Maybe I should. No, I, I totally agree with you. I think that every kid, and especially in the early ages, as we we're starting to figure out who we really are, I think we should all be, or at least have the opportunity to be in placed in places that we can succeed, right? Some people are fit. People who want to be track stars should be have that ability to be placed in track. And the people who want to code and hack the next government, like, sure, go figure out whatever class program that is and let them succeed and find those spaces that they can succeed. But I totally agree that some of that, I'll say that the competitive nature should be rewarded in a lot of spaces. And I think especially in the business space, but I just wanted to rewind one second and go back to something that you mentioned where you said that it wasn't until after your accident where you found that you realized then running was like your space of meditation and and some Zen. What is that now for you? It took me a long time to figure that out. And that's actually how I got into drinking alcohol every day because Mm. I was diagnosed with this nerve disease called complex regional pain syndrome, and it's dubbed the suicide disease because it's ranked highest on the pain scale. There's no known cure. And so here I had survived this near-death experience when I got hit by an SUV, had 34 surgeries to save my leg from amputation, only to find out that I am never going to be out of pain. Like I... I will always have pain that's ranked highest on the pain scale. I thought this cannot be my life. And so I started trying every kind of treatment for pain. I was doing nerve blocks, spinal stimulator, ketamine infusions. At one point, I was on 73 homeopathic pills a day and 11 different prescriptions and nothing was working. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't run. I'm sitting here with all these feelings. I can't get out of pain. And I started drinking because I had no way. I hadn't, I had no tools. I didn't, running was the only tool that I had. I didn't realize it at that moment, but running was kind of my tool. It was where I prayed. It was where I kind of got away from it all. It was my therapy. And I was kind of stuck in this bed sitting there and I had to figure out other ways of coping with it. And so this might sound crazy, but I actually had, well, once I got sober, I started working out any way I could. But before then, I started working out even with light dumbbells in the hospital bed. And I even had a pull-up bar installed over my hospital bed and did what I could. So I really had to get my mindset right. I had to start focusing on what I could do and stop focusing on what I couldn't do. I was mm. kept thinking, oh, resilience means bouncing back. So I kept focusing on, well, I want to be able to run again. And so I kept trying so hard to run again. I mean, so everything, you name it, I would, I was trying different shoes. I even bought some of these boots called Kanga boots that had these crazy, like, I don't know if you know what those are, but they're these boots and they had this crazy arc. And I was trying everything to be able to run again. And it was absolute insanity because I would always end up in the same place in extreme pain and a CRPS flare up. And I thought, 
this is ridiculous. Resilience isn't about bouncing back. It's not about going back. It's about choosing the courage to move forward and look at life as there are so many other opportunities and possibilities, and maybe there's something even better. So I started swimming. I started doing things like hiking. It's wild, but I can't really run because the pounding, I mean, I can chase after my kids, believe me, but I can get, I can hunt them down, but like I can still hike. One day I was, my youngest daughter loves to run. She's like me. She loves to run and she was in the kitchen. She really wanted me to go for a run with her. And I looked at my husband and I said, gosh, it's just such a shame. I can't go for a run with her. And he said, well, so what? Get on your bike and go for a bike ride. And I'm like, oh, yeah, brilliant idea. And so sometimes we get so stuck on things that we wish we could do or that we used to be able to do when there's so many other things that are just right in front of us that we could try. And so now I bike ride. I, there's so many other things that we can do. I found other outlets like writing has become a great way to express myself. Yoga, although I'm not great at it, I still try it. I'm just stay open to new possibilities. And I'd be lying if I sat here and told you that I didn't miss running. When you're a runner and you love to run, it is like a drug, like it was my drug of choice. And last night, my daughter and I were walking. I love it here. We just moved to Texas about five months ago and we go walking at night and I love how it feels outside and you can hear the locusts outside and the crickets chirping and, and we were walking and it was just a beautiful night. And I was like, gosh, this would be such a perfect night to go for a run. And I'm like, Oh, I wish I could run. And I'm like, okay, Amberly, I'm able to walk. You better go down your list of gratitude for all the things that you can do because it's easy to start slipping into, oh, I wish I could do this or I wish I could do that. But I think that it takes a while when you aren't able to maybe do something that you used to be able to do, but there are maybe even better things, even more exciting things that you can do. And so everything from I didn't, I never played softball. Now my daughter and I are playing softball in the backyard every night. So there's so many different things, but it, once you're a runner, man, there's nothing quite like it. It's true. But you mentioned gratitude as well. How are you practicing gratitude as a part of that meditation? Well, I have a group of ladies. I'm big. I think community is so important. And so I have a God squad. I have a group of ladies called my gratitude girls. I have another group of ladies I've created called my legendary squad. So you legendary ladies, so you name it, like I create, I love connecting people. And I have a group of ladies, we call ourselves the gratitude girls. And we actually write 10 things that we're grateful for every single day. And we text it to each other. And it might seem, you know, inconvenient. It takes a little bit of time. But when you can think of something you're grateful for, it can shift your mindset. When you can take the time to write 10 things down, it really ingrains that gratitude. When you share it, it really builds on that gratitude. But when you read something that somebody else is grateful for, it's like, wow, it really sinks in and it really grows that gratitude. And so it's something I do every single morning. And at night I get in bed with my daughter and I ask her two questions. 
I ask her, what's the best thing that happened to you today? And I ask her, what's one thing that you're grateful for? And she, sometimes it's usually silly, but I know that it is really changing her life because just last year, her and I were riding our razors, the little scooters. We were riding those outside and we were going through a crosswalk and this car came flying through the crosswalk, hits us both. Luckily, we were thrown. I know y'all are probably thinking, maybe your next book should be called Look Both Ways. But no. <laughs> Luckily, we were thrown and not rolled over. And it was actually probably scarier that moment was when my daughter and I got hit than when I just got hit because I, when your child get hit, gets hit, it's just that the scariest thing. So we get taken by ambulance to the hospital. And the whole time in the hospital, we just kept telling the nurses, and I was saying, thank you for helping us. Thank you for taking care of us. And this was still in California and COVID was still, it was right when the Delta variant had come out and things were pretty, pretty crazy in the hospital and they were understaffed. And I just kept saying, thank you. And she's like, we're going to get you out of here. We just have to get a CAT scan of your daughter's brain and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, thank you. I know you're so busy. I appreciate what you do. Well. Luckily, my daughter's CAT scan was okay. We get released from the hospital. My daughter's walking out with me and she says, Mama, we were rolled in here on a gurney and we are walking out like superstars. And I thought, she gets it. She gets the gratitude on a deeper level. And I could tell how she just, other people were freaking out in the hospital. Some people were really cranky. We got to share a hospital bed and we were okay. We were fine. We were grateful to be alive. And I think that our kids, you can tell them things. You can tell them to be kind or respectful or grateful, but they see your actions. They're like sponges and they see everything that you do. They hear everything that you say. And it makes my heart sing that to know that she's a grateful person and that she can shift her mindset and walk out of the hospital a victor of her life and not a victim. What an incredible story and just so powerful on how it is to instill that in our kids and then watch them live it, right? There's something like you keep preaching it, but you never know what's actually sticking. Mm -hmm. And a moment like that of just pure gratitude of watching them walk out and be like, wow, how lucky are we? And actually, you know, like, Wow, just gives me goosebumps thinking of what your daughter's going to be able to accomplish in life just with the mindset that you've given her. I want to change things and go a little bit into the business direction now and talk a little bit about that because your story is absolutely incredible because you didn't come out of the hospital saying, wow, I want to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to need to do something to change my career path. You really just started to share your story publicly and started trying to inspire some other people and use your story as an inspiration for other people that were going through similar things to get connected and create community like you've shared about. But all of a sudden you just took off and you started getting a lot of attention and people really started to resonate with how well you were spoken and how well you were sharing your story. How did you go from just trying to share your story and bring awareness to now actually having a brand behind it and using it as a powerful business to go inspire more people on this planet? Well, thank you. Y'all ask such great questions. I think I've all, I've always had kind of that entrepreneurial spirit. I started working at 13 and was always trying to think of ways to earn money because 
I had to earn money. Like if I wanted to move to California, it wasn't like I had parents that were like, oh, yes, let's go get you set up in an apartment and we'll buy you furniture. It was like I had to buy my own car. It was up to me to put the gas in the car to drive from Texas to California. And then it was up to me like two weeks after I moved to California, I already had two. I had two job, different jobs at two different restaurants and two jobs at two different dance studios teaching dance. So when it came time to figure out what I was going to do after, after my motorcycle accident, I remember being in a hospital bed we had set up in the living room because I couldn't go up and down the stairs. And I remember I had this other, I had a very successful fitness business. I had full clientele trainers that worked for me. I was doing infomercials. I was sponsored by Nike. I was doing infomercials with Body by Jake. Y'all are, he's, y'all are born like way after his time, but that just tells my age. I'm 50. And I, so I had this successful business and fitness. I thought, well, I'm just going to get back to training clients. And I'll never forget, I'm sitting, in, I'm laying in the hospital bed and one of my friends who's a trainer walk comes in and she sits beside me on the couch and she goes, well, what are you going to do now? You can't train clients. And I just burst into tears. It was like, what do you mean I can't train clients? Like, and it was like, I had been spending every day just on survival mode. And this was like that rude awakening of, oh crap, what am I going to do? And so I first started thinking about, well, what can I do? What brings me joy? How can I serve? So I did try to get back to training and I was literally like killing myself. And it was one day when I was actually bleeding out on the gym floor. No joke. My husband comes running across the gym and he's like, what are you doing? This is insanity. Get off your leg. You're bleeding across the gym floor. And I was like, okay, that's not going to work. And I think that's kind of part of it in business. Like you really, my intention was I love people. I love seeing the transformation in people. I love helping people. Well, I want to train clients again. I might have to do a little bit different, but that's what I'm going to do. Well, sometimes you don't know until you try. And I was like, okay, that's not going to work for me. How can I still help people? And so I went back and got certified to be a life coach. And so I think it's really important when you're trying to decide what you want to do to do something that you truly love and that brings you joy and fulfillment, because it's going to be hard along the way. It's going to be tiring hours sometimes. It's not going to be easy. It hasn't been for me anyway. And I love how you asked, and all of a sudden you started getting people that were interested in your story. I feel like it's taken years of building upon building like behind the scenes of going out there and speaking in little tiny coffee shops, in churches, at charity events, at nonprofits, at speaking one-on-one when a client would say, hey, can you go talk to my aunt? She's really depressed and can't get out of bed. And so it started with me speaking to these small organizations. And I remember the first time I had a big talk to go speak to, it was a bunch of realtors, financial advisors, and lawyers. And I was scared to death. Y'all, I didn't even own a suit, but I was told if you're going to go speak to fancy people, you need to own a suit. So I went and bought a suit. And on the way there, my dad 
calls and I said, Hey dad, I'm really nervous. I'm on my way to go do this talk. And he goes, Oh my gosh, you're doing public speaking. Why would you want to do that? Don't you know that's the number one fear other than death itself? And I was like, thanks dad. And he said, just remember, Amberly, this is not about you. It's about them. And so I always think about that. I think it's really important to focus on why you started. What is your why? That's what I focus on. And I had somebody say, how do you stay motivated? I'm like, I don't. I don't stay motivated. I just stay consistent. And when I fail and when I mess up and when I hit rock bottom, I just get back up again because where I am or where I'm going is so much better than where I was or where I started. And so I think that over the years, I decided I wanted to write a book and I had so many people say, you're crazy. You're that fitness girl. You're that coach. You're that life coach girl. You don't even own a computer. This is years ago. They're like five years ago, y'all. I didn't even own a computer. So to the listeners, if there's somebody listening and you're like, well, I don't know how to build a brand. I'm not on that social media. Believe me, I wasn't either. Five years ago, I didn't even know how to attach a picture to an email. And I had this big idea. I want to write a book. And so I literally started writing in a binder every day and then went and bought a computer took a class at Apple, raised my hand with for any time. And he's like, anybody have questions? I was like, yep, me. I got a question. Yep, that's me. And he stopped the class and he was like, I just have to say, we've I've never had anybody take a class that wasn't embarrassed to raise their hand so much. And I'm like, well, I need, I don't know how to do all any of this. And I need to learn because I've got a big, project I'm passionate about. I need to spread some hope and some inspiration. And so I wrote that book and lo and behold, I had a publisher that wanted it. They said, we don't do any marketing or branding. And I said, well, neither do I. (laughs) He said, well, if you want to get your book out there, you better, it's up to you to market it and get it out there. And I thought, okay, I don't have much money either. And so I thought, well, I can get on Instagram and Facebook and this thing called LinkedIn and start sharing value and sharing my message. And I leave my crappy posts up from five years ago because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what hashtags were, but I kept doing it and I stayed consistent with it. And every day I carved out a certain time during the day. That was the time that I would show up and share on Instagram. And I share this because I want anybody who's listening to know that I built up like my social media, like my Instagram account by spending like three hours a day. Like some people are like, oh, you don't need to spend more than five minutes a day on social media. And I'm like, well, dude, the only way that I got some following, real engagement and built a community of people was to be on there myself and find people and respond to them and go to their page and comment on their post and My goal was to, in one year, I had a year from by the time I got my book deal, my publishing 
book publisher to the time it was going to launch. I had a year. I wanted to get 10,000 followers and I did it because back then it was like, if you get 10,000 followers, you get that swipe up on Instagram. It was like, you get a reward. And so it took a lot of time and dedication. And now I don't spend three hours a day on social media anymore. But in the beginning, that's what I had to do because it was important to me. And my husband didn't understand it. And a lot of people didn't understand it, but I had a vision. And a lot of people, they not understand your vision. They may not understand your dreams or what you, this big idea you have for your company or your brand or your nonprofit or what you want to do with your life. But what's important is that you have that vision and you feed that vision with positivity and you find people that are like-minded that can come in and they can support you and you can brainstorm together and you can collaborate. And that's how your dreams start to happen. But it takes consistency. And people ask me this all the time. They're like, how do you, I had, I just have to share this with you. I know I'm going on and on. This is such a long answer. But I was speaking at this event and we were told to give away something at the end of the event. So this was years ago. I didn't have much to give away. I was just starting out as a speaker. So I created a gratitude journal to give away. The speaker after me gave away a house. So afterwards, I was like, wow, dude, thanks for one up in me. And I was kidding around. I had no idea who he was. Well, he was some billionaire. And he contacted me afterwards and he's like, yeah, Amberly, I just want to know who does all your marketing and branding. I'm like, that would be me. And he said, well, no, no, no. I mean, who does all your like social media and your posting? I'm like, well, that would be me. He goes, well, we'd like to hire you to do our company's social media. And so I was like, no, that's not what I do. I'll help you any way I can. He goes, well, how did you get engagement in real these followers? I said, I listen to my audience. When they comment, I care and I listen to them. And my own husband didn't understand why I was spending time on social media until he saw when he went to every book signing across the country, we sold out of books out of every single bookstore we were at. At Books and Books in Miami, the owner or the manager came up afterwards and he said, Oh my gosh. He said, we've had famous politicians in here. We've had celebrities in here. We've never had anybody sell out of books as fast as you did. What did you do? I said, it's the power of social media. I said, I would tell people, Hey, I'm going to be at books and books, Miami. Please come and see me. Just come see me. I want to hug your neck. I want to meet you in person in the flesh. And they'd show up. Then they show up. I'm like, oh, here, you want to buy a book? But I really, for a year, I all I did was provide value, give away playbooks and workbooks and journals and give away stuff. And then when the year came up, I'm like, guess what, guys? My book's ready. And I had taken them on that journey with me. So they knew what it was like in the background, in my stories, like, they saw the days where I was discouraged and had imposter syndrome. They were there for me to go, okay, I might not, I may be full of self-doubt, but this is what I'm doing to overcome it. And so that I think that whether you're starting out or whether you're leveling up your business, 
doesn't matter how old you are. If you think you're too young or too old, you can always reinvent yourself. You can go after the career or the work or that passion project that you have in mind. It just takes a lot of grit, a lot of grit. Definitely. And I didn't want to stop you there. You were going on a fire tangent. And so I just could listen to you speak all day. And you talked a lot about it's not about you, it's about them. And what you just shared is such an example of that. And I think why you've had so much success to date is just because you care so much about the people on the other side and making sure that they feel heard and loved. And I think that's absolutely incredible. And I think your hard work and work ethic is just testimony to the success that you've had. And a lot of people that are listening should be able to relate to that that it's not easy, that it is hard work. And that just goes to show, Emberly, you faced adversity your whole life and it didn't change when you came into business and you just kept grinding and grinding. So kudos to you. That is absolutely amazing. Well, thank you. I mean, it does get easier. I don't spend three hours on Instagram anymore. (laughs) But I think with each level up, you have new levels, new devils. Absolutely. And that happens in business and in life and all over whatever it is they experience. But transition a little bit into, I guess, what we just call our the giving section of our podcast. Like, I heard that your daughter actually won the award for being the most empathetic in her classroom. And I can obviously see where she gets that from. And I'm wondering why empathy for you? And I'll pair that in with why do you also like to give hope? Such a great question. And yeah, I think that was one of my most proudest days when, you know, as a mom, when my daughter and other kids were getting awarded for straight A's and mine got awarded for most empathy. I was like, oh, yes, because that's something I think they they learn through experience. And since she was two years old, she's only ever known me as kind of, she was so young. She's only ever known me as like, I would have a surgery and recovery, then surgery and recovery. And I think that I felt so broken when I first got out of the hospital and I was trying to train clients again. And I was thinking, oh, who's going to want to train with me? I feel so broken. Hmm. And to my surprise, my business boomed because people were like, oh, we saw you in the gym in your wheelchair. Then we saw you with your walker. Then we saw you on crutches. We saw you bleeding out across the gym floor. So they're like, they, I, it gives me inspiration. Like I too can lose five pounds. If you can get in here and do this out of your wheelchair, I can do it too. So it gave them that feeling of I can do it. But one of my clients said, Amberly, you're a better trainer now because you understand me more, you understand my pain more. And I think that empathy allows you to understand what someone else is going through. And I think that really leads to a deep connection when you can connect on that level. And so I feel like empathy is something that really can connect us all on a deeper level and something that we need in the world even more now. There's so much going on with between everything with inflation and politics and COVID and everything that if we just had a little bit more compassion, a little more empathy, a little bit more understanding, I think the world would be a better place. Couldn't agree more. And that hope for inspiration too, I think is so important and being able to experience the struggles, but then also being able to like show up, conquer a lot of those struggles and move on to new levels and new devils, as you put it, which I really like. 
Uh, yeah, and I didn't answer the part about hope, and I'll make this real quick. The reason I'm so passionate about sharing hope is that when I woke up out of a coma and I had a 1% chance of saving my leg from amputation, and that was my glimmer of hope, and that's what got me through 34 surgeries. And so all it takes is just a little bit of hope, maybe just a little glimmer of light, maybe one person that believes in you, one one piece of good news, one conversation, one quote, one, one spark of hope to keep you going. And so that's why I'm so passionate about it is because I know that there's such power in it. I love it. You donated a dollar per book. Where did that idea come from and why'd you do it? Well, actually, that was, I can't take credit for that. That was my, I didn't know how to do that. I mean, look, I, like I said, I didn't even have a computer. I'm like, how do I publish this? So my publisher is the one who was able to connect me to how to do that, which I think is a brilliant idea. But I have donated so many books, actual books to Dress for Success, to the Hardest American Heart Association. I just got back from a conference where I donated to every attendee. I donated a book because, again, I want people to have that hope and that inspiration. And that's why I wrote the book. My intention for the book is so that they could grasp a little of that. That's You can go, Steve. I was just going to say, I love it. I think that any, like, we call it for purpose. And so when we can attach something for a greater cause, our business is for purpose. Whether we donate to kids support, donate a book, donate time, there's a purpose behind that. And Cole Hatter taught us that and something that we do as well. I love that. We want to jump into a transition question here. And one of the things we love to ask all of our guests is just getting them to brag on a moan of giving that gives them goosebumps, something that makes them just think back of like, wow, that was a special moment in my life of giving. Do you have a moment like that that you can share with us? Well, I think the moment that hit me the most was I was speaking at a conference for reflex sympathetic dystrophy. And that's the nerve disease. It used to be called RSD. Now it's called complex regional pain syndrome. And when I went to speak at the event. I had no idea how many people there were diagnosed with CRPS. And at the beginning of my talk, I said, how many of you here have been diagnosed with complex regional pain syndrome? And 90% of the room raised their hand. And it was more than goosebumps. I cried and I was donating my time, but then I was also donating a book. This was in the very beginning of my journey. And so although I didn't have a lot of money to donate, I donated what I could with my time or or my book. And that was a moment I'll never forget because in that moment, I felt so connected to everyone in the room. And I think that so many of us just want to be seen and heard and understood and in that moment, I realized every all these people that raised their hand, they understood exactly what it's like to go through a day living with this chronic pain every single day. Crazy. I couldn't imagine that experience, and I'm sure it was pretty rewarding to, to be a part of that. We're going to jump into our final giving round, as we call it. Just some short, rapid-fire questions for you. Quick answer. You ready? Let's do it. 
brag on one charity that you like? I would have to say reflex sympathetic dystrophy. Saw that one coming. <laughs> yeah. What would get you more excited? Either donating a $1 million check or spending a week physically helping others? Well, I love helping others. So I have not, I think it would really excite me to be able to go, here's your million dollars. So I'm going to say that would be very exciting because I haven't experienced that yet. So that's something I would love to strive for. And I think that it could be possible. I have donated a week or more of time. I've always been big on donating time. In fact, for two years straight, I donated hours a week at recovery centers. And so time is something I'm used to donating because I do think that's a precious commodity. But I would love to be able to donate a million dollars. How fun. Mm -hmm. It's coming, y'all. I'll let you know. (laughs) Very cool. Who inspires you with their giving? Well, y'all do for sure. I love all that you're doing. So you guys really take it to a different, a whole other level. Also, I was just inspired by, I just had Ed Milet on my podcast and we just not long ago had the shootings in Texas. And so for his book launch, he's donating all his proceeds to his book to families in Texas to support those victims of the shooting. So I was very touched by that. Yeah, that was a great episode. Anybody who's listening Go check out Emily's podcast. They're all great. With, with Ed was really, really great as well. And I, I, meant to this, I meant to mention this early as well. Your gratitude journal is fantastic. And the section about what am I learning from this as well, I think is really, really critical. But sorry, back to the questions. <laughs> Do you think that entrepreneurs should start giving from the very beginning of their business or once they've seen some success and have some money in the bank account? I think from the very beginning, because I think it instill it you get in the habit of giving. And what every time I have given, I always receive something bigger in return. I mean, every single time. Now, I haven't given a big check. I haven't given, I've given money, donated to vets for veterans. I just played in the softball tournament. But every single time I've always gotten, like, let me just tell you real quick. So I donated, I had a friend that has a charity for cancer, for women for breast cancer. And she asked me to donate my time by going and delivering a keynote and doing a book signing and donating books. And I'm like, sure. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, this, why did I, oh, this is a lot. (laughs) It's in Beverly Hills. Traffic is really bad. And I'm like, you know what? I know I'm here for a reason. It feels good to give. There was a lady at that talk that heard me. She comes up and she says, I'm a producer for the doctors. I love your story. I want to have you on the doctor's TV. And I said, really? She goes, yeah, I wrote my phone number down on a cocktail napkin. I thought, I don't know if that's ever going to pan out. Well, I was on the doctors all from just giving of my time. Very incredible. Love that story. When you hear go big to get big, what does it mean to you? Go well, first off it. In Texas, we have a saying, go big or go home. So I've always been like, let's go big, you know, go big. I think to me, that means put all your heart into it. Put put all your passion and purpose and perseverance into it. And you have to be willing to put all that into it to get big and to give bigger. In one word, describe the feeling you get when you give. Joy. Beautiful word to choose. 
The final question we ask all of our guests, age-old question, do you believe that money can buy you happiness? No, not at all. I mean, I think that money really reveals who we truly are. I think that with money, it allows you to either give more or become more greedy. With money, it does allow you things like the thing that's so important to me, the most important is health. So when I think about money, I'm like, oh, wow, you can afford the best medical treatments. You can afford organic food. Shoot, you could even afford to have your own private chef. But you can also afford to hire people to help you so you can grow your business and make bigger impact, make a bigger income, and then give it even more. So I think happiness is a feeling that comes and goes. I think that money can maybe spark a little bit of happiness, but it's really fulfillment and joy that that I'm looking for. But, you know, money definitely makes things easier. That's a great way to sum it up. And with that, Amberly, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your incredible story and just continuing to inspire us to just keep pushing through and going through the adversity that we go through and continuing just to inspire us to go bigger with our dreams and goals so we can give bigger with our profits. And I would love for you to share where our guests can find more about you, get your book or get in touch with your podcast as well. Yeah, com. You can find the podcast True Grit and Grace. The book's the same title, True Grit and Grace. Or, you know, she, on Instagram, send me a DM. I'm at Amberly Lago Motivation and send me a DM and let me know you heard the podcast. I love to hear from people. So I'd love to connect with you. And again, it's AmberlyLago.com. And just thank you all so much for having me on. It's really been our pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the show. If you know someone who's an example of Go Big to Get Big, we would love if you could share this with them. We want to get our message out to as many listeners as we can, and it all starts by having people like you share it with your friends. Also, if you enjoyed the show, take 30 seconds and give us a five-star review. It's a simple act of giving that is free for you, helps us grow our message, and in return, allows others to find us sooner. And until the next episode, remember, always go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profit.